Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Today we have a conversation with a friend, Ed Rosa. That's me. Hi. My filmmaking partner and I have a YouTube channel, Toothless Richard Productions, where you can see a number of our short films. I listen to the Pornhub podcast from time to time, hosted by Asa Akira. And just before Christmas time, she had an interview with Sean Baker, who is a filmmaker of high reputation in the independent scene for making movies that focus on people who are several steps away from the American mainstream. They bumped paths because he employed her in a movie about sex work, and she is a sex worker and a porn star. He came to some real fame and a bigger audience with Tangerine, which is about a couple of trans prostitutes in Los Angeles, and then more recently than that, The Florida Project, which is about the sort of indentured servitude of young people who live around the Disney setting in Orlando, Florida. Red Rocket is about a guy named Mikey Davies. He goes by the name Mikey Saber. He's an up-jumped kid from Texas City, Texas, who grew up poor, under the smoke towers of the petroleum industry and left for Los Angeles as soon as he could get out of town, where he made a career for himself for 17 years as a porn star. He took with him his girlfriend, later wife, who also became a star in the pornography industry, but then she burned out and went home and he stayed on to become an even bigger star. The trouble is, Mikey's a pain in the ass. He's a really difficult guy. He's a motor mouth. He's constantly manipulative. And he returns home to Texas City bruised, beat up, and all but penniless, hoping he can sack out with his estranged wife and her mother. They live together. And rebuild his life from scratch because he's got literally nothing. He eventually starts moving marijuana for the local dealer. He bumps into a girl on the other side of a donut counter at a donut shop. This is Ray Lee. Susanna Son is this actress, and our lead is Simon Rex. Mikey believes that Ray Lee might be his ticket back to the industry because he will promote her as both an agent to get her back involved in porn and, as a consequence of that, get himself back involved in pornography. In other words, Mikey intends to use this woman and exploit her labor doing sex work to advance his own career aims and take all of the money he can from her pocket. And he'll do this by seducing her into a love affair, which he's successful in doing. I don't know, maybe my take on this film is a little more juvenile than everybody else's, but when I watched this thing, I thought... Everyone is responsible for their own choices. The scrawny buddy, Lonnie, Lonnie inadvertently causes this huge pileup, mm-hmm. and with like where lives are lost uh, on, by making a bad decision on the freeway. Now, that's not Mikey's fault. Mikey told him, you know, oh, this is the exit, a little too late. But okay, well, I can't get over now. We'll have to get off at the next exit. Turn around and come and back. Come back. That's right. Mikey does not manipulate Lonnie into making this decision to just cut across traffic and cause this whole thing. 
I didn't see Mikey as responsible for this. That's like why I said maybe I'm the juvenile one here because so many people seem to see Mikey as the reason that bad things happen to these people. But I see everybody in this film as a victim of their own bad decision making. And Mikey might be there when bad decisions are made. But Capitalizing he, on him as best he can, making sh- his own bad decisions. Sure, right? sure. But he is in no way responsible for anybody else's bad decisions but his own. The movie itself is just over two hours in length. The final credits just play with Nat sounds, so that's kind of an unusual thing. We don't have yeah. piped-in music. We just listen to the sounds of a the neighborhood. They must have been out of money. They must have been, <laughs> right. Don't, I, we can't go get something licensed to fill this sound. Regardless, yeah, we have yeah. a two-hour movie, and I felt probably 80 or 90 minutes into this that I was starting to feel the weight. Like, wow, yeah, I'm getting tired of this. Why did I feel that way? It's probably because... I find Mikey and people like him, I find him irritating. And he's exhausting. He is totally, he takes my energy away. Yeah. He's a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> he's constantly manipulating the people around him through this barrage of wordplay and robbing them of their necessary energy. I find him familiar. I've been around yeah. this kind of a guy on other occasions. I'm sure that people in my life, maybe not part of it anymore, would think of me this way because I can get kind of jazzed and energetic, but he is unrelenting. Now, the good news of that, that's an American type. That's a bootstrapper. Yeah. My circumstances are crummy, but I see over the next horizon, there it is, green pastures. Yeah. So I'm headed that direction. And while he's already done that once, and he succeeded. Let's remember, he's a multi-avian award-winning performer. Yeah, yeah he is. <laughs> and he shares what that means with various characters across the length of this thing. He's chosen to not be stuck and make choices that move him away from, well, total impoverishment. All of the people that he meets in this, and the only exception I can think of, well, there's two exceptions. Leandria is the local drug dealer. He's the entrepreneur on her staff who begins selling to the guys who work doing the petroleum rigs, right. which is a cash cab. They've got the best money around, but we don't focus on any of them. So Leandria has a going concern. She's an entrepreneur. The other person around the edges is the woman who runs the donut shop, yeah, Miss Bam. And she's one of the producers of the movie, so that's an easy way to avoid having to pay her because she'll yeah, be yeah. on screen. Other than that, most everybody seems to be a layabout without jobs. We realize that Mikey's ex well, his estranged wife, Lexi, lives with her mother, Lil. Lil is on permanent disability for what we assume is some kind of cancer. We realize Lexi doesn't have a job anymore. We realize that all of the people who are sucking on the teat of Leandria's THC business include all of her children and various neighbors. Yeah. But they're all of them leeches. We see that Mikey realizes this is all that's here. And his direct neighbor next door, Lonnie, he doesn't have a job except pretending he's a veteran in yeah. order to sell flags, which he's called on at one memorable moment in the movie. Yeah. Everybody doesn't have something to do all day long. So this motormouth with verve and energy is a kind of ray of sunshine, but he is exhausting. You do want to slam the door in his face and say, go away and come back tomorrow when I'm refreshed and rested. And I have felt that way about certain people in my life as well over time. So it's a familiar experience. But as you say, he's not the bad guy. He's just the one who's trying to do something about his circumstances, where the others seem to just be beat up by it. Yeah, We just live in these pitiful shacks under these smoke-belching towers, and we smoke cigarettes continuously. In some ways, it's a funny throwback to the 70s or 80s when people would just smoke cigarettes all the time. I'm not around an environment living in Southern California where people live this way. So in a a way, Sean Baker's big project here is a kind of big semi-rural anthropological exercise on what the other half live. Now, 
Simon Rex is a figure that overlaps with my life in that we're probably about the same age. And he was a VJ on MTV. And he got caught up in some scandal where I think he exposed himself. So his his wiener is out in the world yeah. from 20 years ago. Gang, his wiener's on screen yeah. in this movie, too. And I like watching a naked man run. It's just terrific it's, fun. It was, yeah, it was pretty funny. My point is that Simon Rex is this vestige of an older time when we weren't yet as saturated by image making because we weren't carrying around smartphones and we didn't yeah. have internet access with all of our home computers yeah. if we even had them. And that guy is exactly who he's playing. As I understand it, Simon Rex lives, I, I want to say, like in Idlewild here in Southern California. Oh, does he really? Really kind of divorced from most modern comforts and a lot of social media structure by choice because he's seen himself get chewed up by it yeah. on a couple of occasions in his now middle-aged years. But he retains physical grace. He's handsome. He looks like uh, he looks like if uh, Bradley Cooper and... Uh... And Jason Bateman. F- <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. I can't think of the right. whole movie. He looks like they had a baby together. I've, I've just been watching a lot of Ozark, so yeah. Bateman is okay. totally up in my head. Yeah. And you're right. Right. Yeah. He's got the plainer quality of Jason Bateman, but a similar build to him, but a bit more muscly, like Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got a rangy kind of charismatic quality. He uses his body attractively. Yeah. And he uses his body as a thing. He's a he's a fly trap, you know. But here's okay. So another thing. Well, he smiles a lot. Yeah. He seems well, he's happy very a charming. Lot. Right. <laughs> and when, he's annoying and charming. He's charm annoying. And when things go his way, he is pleased. So this getting around on a bike thing. There are several scenes when Sean Baker tracks backward. I assume it's in the back of a truck or something. And we watch Simon or Simon Rex like roll towards us as Mikey, splitting puddles on his bike, <laughs> just closing his eyes and pedaling hard, or just coasting with his arms out. Yeah. And it looks so much fun. Yeah. He's joyful. Yeah. Nobody else in this movie, with the exception of Rayleigh, really ever cracks a smile and seems to have any fun. There's optimism deep in the pit of his soul, and that's part of what his engine is. When he's hanging out with Lexi, it's mostly pain and discomfort. It's not satisfaction. They leave each conversation mutually upset with the other. Yeah. So the background of his history is all bad news, but it's always over there. It will be better. And in that way... I settled in that back 30 minutes and thought, okay, that, that's what this journey is. I'm being asked to consider this guy when they could sew the movie up in 80 minutes of length. They don't need two hours. But to help me understand the paces of what he's going through, his mercilessness of being such an irritant, well, that irritation is what gets him out of all of this. I can't see him as villainous. Right off the bat, what does he do? Well, he you know starts. He tries to get a job selling weed. Yeah. Or maybe I missed this, but apparently they told him not to sell to the hard hats. But I don't know that that was ever explained. So I don't understand why they would have been off limits. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's some form of a, just a, a very arbitrary but ruling class distinction. Those hard hat guys, they're they're, they're blue collar dudes. They're having a hard physical job, but they're earners. And, of course, that's where you want to... And, and they hate their jobs. Rayleigh tells yeah. them. They come off shift, and they hate what's happening. Yeah. Sell to them then, because they're depressed, and help them get out of right. it. Right. So he's... Perfect he's, patience. And, and so he's 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 making money. He's uh, working on, uh, you know, trying to, to develop a, an ingenue. Yeah. And, and a lot, in, a, in a way, he's almost the most commendable character in the film. I'm not used to looking at poverty on a movie screen. 
And while these people have a roof over their heads, it's just so. Yeah. While they have something to eat, it's just so. They're very marginal by most ways of thinking. Yeah. He knows this, but he's trying to find something else. Nope, not our, not our boy Mikey. Now, his vision of what that future ought to be is maybe not in line with what Horatio Alger was writing about in the early 20th century with these bootstrapping stories about yeah. young men getting mentors and leaving town. But if we take that model, because that's literally what he was doing, selling pulp novels as a former minister more than 100 years ago, girding people's energies, particularly boys turning into men, in life training. Find an appropriate mentor to learn a trade, to learn a skill, to learn a craft, to learn a direction in life. Always an elder male, because you as a young man, you young man, can go west. You young man can earn your way. You young man can be an entrepreneur and make a better future. Right. If you'll just ally yourself with the right process and pattern. That's exactly what he's happening here, only he's actually feminist. He's wanting to make this girl yeah. into a woman capable of all of that based on his tutelage. Now, admittedly, do most of us think it's a good idea for our young people to go off into the sex industry? Well, probably not for no, most for of the them. For the most part, no. Yeah. yeah that's, but some people have been able to successfully capitalize on some it. Some people but have. The majority do not. And he has these moments when you're realizing he's hustling, Ray Lee. He's saying to her, you're the most beautiful woman here, talking about the strippers in the strip club where yeah. he takes her at her request because she's never been to one before. But we also see him register these truths. To him, she sort of is. How do I know? The movie has this ambiguous, goofy kind of ending where we see Mikey. He's been driven from town. He's been given a deadline. Get out of here. You're persona non grata. You cannot come back to Texas City. And he walks across town to Rayleigh's house where they have agreed they're going to leave together. And he arrives at that front porch. She opens the door in this bikini. And it's a scene right out of one of those movies. Yeah. She's beckoning him forth. But it's not clear if that's really happening or if it's just his imagination right. or his preference or his fantasy. But that sells me in understanding he believes that Rayleigh is special. Yeah, well, the way he's right off the bat sort of drawn to her when they initially meet... You know, when he takes, you know, his wife and her mom, you know, to the donut shop. <laughs> Get whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's a big spender. You know, he's yeah. making it rain at the uh, donut hole. He doesn't explain it, but I, I, it's not, I don't know that he necessarily just saw a dollar sign. When human intimacy is transactional, truly transactional, performing it can earn you money, you get bent out of shape. Where's my hundred? Right, yeah. I thought it was a thousand for this scene. I thought this act with that person will arrive at this privilege or this gift or whatever it might be. And that transactional basis of getting along with people is really hard to take. I generally find myself repulsed by it, which is why it's hard to go to work sometimes. <laughs> because if you're devoted to the craft of what you're doing as your job to earn money, and it doesn't go well, <laughs> all that you're left with is realizing I've prostituted my time. Right. And that's what I think I see Mike getting caught up in. I think in some ways he does legitimately love Rayleigh. And I think in some ways he legitimately loves Lexi. I think I've listened to a lot of promiscuous people over my years, and also people in the sex industries, describe how I sort of love the people that I'm with while I'm with them. Right. It doesn't last past that for most relationships, but it can, because something about those activities do bring you physically close to somebody. Yeah, there's like bonds that are sort of created. It's uh, sporting, yeah. you know? You go play soccer at a high level with people, and like, they're your people. You know, it, it's that sports analogy maybe doesn't land for everybody, but it makes sense to me. And I think Mike is caught up in, in, in that. He uh, He sort of does love these women. 
But he also realizes he can use these women. He can exploit these women, which is why that, that phrase suitcase pimp, which was so prominent in the interview that I listened to between Asa Akira and Sean Baker, uh -huh. shows up in the last 10 minutes of this movie when they're removing Mike and his ex-wife says, Now get the fuck out, you suitcase pimp. What'd you say? You heard me. Suitcase pimp. Say that shit again. Homeless suitcase pimp. Was I supposed to believe that the revenge that Lexi was exacting on him was just somehow? Mm -hmm. Because, once again, she made her own choices. Right. You know, he shows up. Uh, he needs to stay there. They come to this agreement. He holds up his end of the agreement while they become sexual together. That seems to me, at least initially, they're just, you know, they're using each other as a means to an end. Right, it, it's it's fun to climax. From his point of view, it's nice to sleep on a bed. <laughs> right, but then, but then she, he, as far as I was aware, he never gave any indication that he's trying to rekindle anything with her. Well, the but only exception she... is that her mother corners him in their kitchen while she's not with the pair of them, right. and asks, "Are you in? Are are you in to this? Are you going to be with us?" She puts him on the spot because she's a sick person. She knows that she's ailing in some ways. She knows they have a very complicated history. It's alluded to the fact that not only was Lexi in the pornography industry as a starlet, but that she's turned tricks to earn money. Right. It's also alluded to the fact that she's got a drug addiction problem. Yeah, they both smoke meth, yeah. And and so and Mikey finds that disgusting. So it, there's these layers to his complicated yeah, but self. She, but, but she's asking that because she needs that money. That's right. Because she's he's providing them overhead, a more comfortable right. way of living. And they're, oh, we don't have to worry about where dinner's coming from. Like, yeah. we're getting rent. Like, so there's this one nice moment of characterization. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's not just that it's implied. It, it is in the script. But she has a child. By a man who she has had that child with since she was right. in Los Angeles with Mikey. And part of her manipulation is if I can keep him on the hook, bringing in money, I can get that child, my child, out of Child Protective Services, and I can rehouse my child with me. Right. I can make my family whole with a substitute father if my estranged husband would just act like a proper household person. Right. And they have a discussion about whether that will happen. And we watch him... He's Can, not into it. He, he doesn't want to be some daddy. No. Yeah, he's he wants to be. Right. But he also realizes that's what she needs him to be. And he, for a little while, puts on the face that maybe I can I can help you with that. Of course, that blows up because eventually he gets blunt and quite direct. Right. There's no way I want part of this. Right. You're a drug addict. Your mom's a disaster. I hate this place. We're all poor. Right. It's miserable. I got to go. And I've got this way out. When Mike gets his come up, and I feel that the, the, it... That's totally undeserved. Well, and they, everybody was in some ways ad, in some ways advantaged by his presence. I'm coming around to your position. There's no reason to bag on this dude. Right. He's pretty direct. I'm selfish. Right. I'm not cruel, but I want mine. Right. He can't just give them the Irish goodbye. <laughs> he has to. He has to actually just come clean and say, "Okay, so I'm leaving in the morning. Just to let you know." Yep. Blah 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 blah. And then he gets a totally raw deal. Yeah. And then they're like all gloating and robbing his money that he earned. Yeah. And I just, I was, I was like, you know, I just felt it was totally unwarranted what happened to him. This resonates with me though, because I drove here to your house, which is where we're recording today. 
And while driving here, I went through a couple of uh, loops around some local highways, and there's these homeless encampments. Oh, yeah, they're getting bigger. They're getting bigger, a little bit more permanent seeming, a little more pallet work, some more canvas covers. It feels a little more real around some of these areas. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, these are all a bunch of people who don't quite have enough money to get out of town. They don't quite have enough money to find a, a proper roof. They don't quite have enough. And so what these people from Mikey's history have done to him is robbed him of the capability of at least leaving and truly getting away from them because he can't now with $200 in her pocket when he needs probably thousands in order to make his life again, which he had before they stripped him of his savings. Yeah, It's a terrible story about failure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, you could look at it the other way. It's sort of about the, uh, the indomitable nature of the human spirit. Because I, I, I got to believe, like, he's not going to be homeless because he's just got too much hustle. He might be down for a while, but he's never going to be really out. There's a key detail that we do need to address, and that's the use of NSYNC. It crops up, what, like three, three times, different times, right? Yeah, it's the beginning, uh, and then the end, right? And then, and uh, then the, she the, sings the, it to right. him at her keyboard because right. Ray Lee, among her talents is a musician. Yeah. And so she crawls off a bed for they've just finished making love and plays for him a song. Now, I have heard the interview where Sean Baker describes this scene, and they didn't know they were going to be able to use the song, but he wanted to use it very badly. Okay. So he had her step out of the bed and play... I'm doing this tonight. You're probably going to start a fight. I... Oh, this can't be right. Hey, baby, come on. And she does a good job of it. And the camera favors her as she begins the song. She's topless. And as Susan Sarandon tells us, if a woman is topless, her breasts are the star of the scene. (laughs) And so it frames her at the keyboard while that begins. But then as Susan Sarandon tells us, breasts are the star of the scene. So the camera pushes into him. And we watch registration on his face. That she's a bigger deal than just this strawberry redhead. I just want to tell you that I've had enough. It might sound crazy, but it ain't no lie. Baby, bye-bye. I don't know the ending yet. Bye. <laughs> Apparently they did this several ways. Using original music that they composed they had the rights to. And this version with NSYNC's song. And after the movie was done, somewhere deep in post, they made all the necessary ring kisses to and asked every member of NSYNC, can we please use this song? Right. And they all said, okie doke. Yeah, she said in an interview, she only had like a day to learn it. Is that right? So yeah, you, you got it right time, now so is like your get time. It, yeah, get it together. One other thing that, that I took from that interview I listened to, um, and I've begun seeing this in some of the TV programming I watch, and some of the more recent movies, it's the COVID protocol movie. So not only is the cast not very big because, well, they didn't have any budget to hire a lot of people, and many of the performers are amateur performers. They're hired for type because they live in Texas City or nearby, or they look like somebody who does. Yeah, like they, they, that donut hole is real. Yeah. They, that's, that wasn't the They didn't build it, like, right. right. They right. found that. <laughs> and, and Lil, Lexi's mom, she's kind of a beat-up looking woman. Yeah, she, you know? she's, she seems like a non-professional actor. And she delivers her lines like that. And there's a way that there's some... Um, In a good way. There's some authenticity to it. Right, I, I accept. So, COVID stuff, right? Many of the scenes, the performers are not together. Or the ones who are together often, like Rayleigh and Mikey, 
Well, I'm assuming they had to go into some kind of quarantine room yeah, where the for... two of them were able to be together, but they couldn't be in, with other people in yeah. certain scenes. And a lot of those shots of Mikey outdoors, well, that's because it's COVID. Yeah. So a lot of the movie has been composed and it's been shepherded through the production process, not only to take advantage of found stuff, these actual environments, this real house where Lexi and her mother live and, and this donut shop and these public spaces that anybody can use, but a lot of the driving around that Lonnie takes Mikey to his various appointments. Windows are rolled down in a car going at highway speed, photographed by another car. Yeah. So it's a way of keeping the camera separate from the performer's COVID protocols. So I've been seeing that stuff crop up, and it creates creative tensions. How do you still get the scenes done? Yeah. The other creative use, and this is not COVID protocol related, it's just creative use of film stock. The car crash? What we see is the backseat of the car looking at Mikey say to Lonnie, Turn here! Right. And Lonnie goes from like the far left lane into a right cutoff to get off the highway. And then we hear some pilot noises. And then we see them arrive back at their driveway. I was never here! I was yeah. never here! <laughs> Lonnie vomits. And then we see the reconstruction of those events right. through footage on the TV news, which must have just been some Texas archival stuff. So it's not that Sean Baker hired a bunch of cars, put them on a highway, and then blew them all up. He found footage. Yeah. And carefully doctored it because there are credits of visual effects technicians. And I'm assuming that's because they scrub people's faces and license oh, plates yeah. so that an actual pilot could be used inside of this. I don't know this, but that's my supposition. Sure. Because that's to do it on the cheap. And then layer that in. And the other place this movie's interesting, again, just creative work. What year are we in? America is a nation of believers, dreamers, and strikers. That is 2016. By a group of senses, critics, and you know, it was funny. Uh, I actually uh, couldn't help but think of this film. It's like a, sort of like an X-rated Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> How so, Ed? Uh, it, it, well, just it just in a way, it's just this weird rural town with these weird rural people. Kind of this oddball humor. It's not the same story as Napoleon Dynamite by any means. And there are no llamas. Tina, you fat lard, come get some dinner. I've I've known people like this. I've hung out in houses like these before. Yeah. You know. So there's a there's sort of a like a veracity to it uh, that I that I, I really appreciate it and it's it's actually for all of the sort of moral posturing that everybody that watches it myself included kind of wants to do it's very funny one of the best scenes I thought one of the ones I enjoyed the most was when uh, Nash what was the boyfriend that's it Nash Nash when <laughs> when his family or his mom and comes dad to <laughs> Come to confront Mikey and to, beat him up, and they beat his ass. And he's like, "Well, he he has." Mikey says something like, "Oh, he totally like out cardioed me, <laughs> <laughs> or something." How he would have taken it if he was on his own or something like that. I, I thought that was really funny. Yeah, like I, the, I laughed at that too, right? Because because you know, he knows he knows what his gifts are, but he can't take on three people at once. Yeah, yeah, and uh, a detail like that that I enjoyed. Leandria employs her daughter and her son, kind of as her enforcers, right? <laughs> and Mikey went to school with the son, and there's this constant dislike of one another dating back to their high school years. Right. <laughs> when Leandria's son beat him up. Be yeah, it turns out, yeah, he beat his ass. <laughs> and, and Mike can't accept that story. He's constantly trying to retcon what actually happened yeah. when he was a teenager. No, you didn't beat me up. Yeah, I did. And, 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 this, and the other detail, when they finally, when Leandria's crew roused Mikey from his sleep and tell him, you're out of town, right. you're gone, we're and done we're with you. you. He's naked in bed. He likes to sleep naked. 
and and, her, and Leandria's son can't deal with the snake yeah, in man's like, body. Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to touch him. Oh, God, a snake yeah. in, And that's how he sneaks out the window and runs across town naked. Again, we see naked man running. It's like Adonajua, the fast runner, yeah. but it's in Texas City. <laughs> the point is that speaks to a whole level of, of um, heterosexual panic about the male body yeah. that I have witnessed so many times oh, across yeah. my life. I'm not going to physically handle this guy. Because I might accidentally touch his penis, yeah. and then I'd be gay. Right, right. That, that <laughs> I'm seems, not going to be gay. And that guy's that that's his whole thing. It rolls right up on him. So almost the best defense that Mikey's got is to drop his pants. Right. This is Blockbusters and Bird Walks, a conversation between Garrett Chaffin-Kirai and... Ed Rosa. Boop boopity doo.